we are um, uh, together in a uh, virtual way in this new, uh, this, this kind of a mini series, so to speak, the changing climate of the church. And I introduced some things last week that if you weren't able to, um, to catch the podcast, or if you weren't here with us live last week, um, that's okay. I'll give you just kind of a, a quick review. But one of the things that we talked about was that we as the church, and by that I mean the big C church, the people who um, are followers of God or in God's family and represent God in the world, um, we are the visiting team. All of our games are on the road, so to speak. Um, in other words, no longer do the majority of people in the United States associate with the church. Now, this is not anything new to Marin, but just that our country in particular has turned the corner um, is, uh, is, a, is a very notable um, statistic for us. There are more people who um, disassociate with church in our country than who associate with church in our country. And this is the first time in our nation's history. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 11, it was a passage that we looked at last week that though an ancient text is one that is so relevant for where we are today, it described <clears throat> how God is at work in places of exile. Um, that might sound like a harsh word to use, but uh, for to describe our, um, our existence here in this world, but um, God was at work even uh, among his people, the Israelites, although they were clearly the visiting team. They were playing all their games on the road. Um, God was at work even when the surrounding culture was opposed to the life that God was offering his people. So in that passage, God invites us, not just those, uh, those people in Israel who were in exile in Babylon, but God invites us to seek the peace and prosperity of the cities that we live in. That's actually a, a quote from in that passage, seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which you live. And that's saying, even though people in the city are opposed to faith in Jesus, even though they may be opposed to you, we are still to seek the good of the people that we live among. And Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of God, went so far as to say that if the city prospers, then we too will prosper. Not that that's the motive. We don't seek for the prosperity of the, of the, of the city so we prosper. It just happens to be a, a benefit that God says. So we, we pray for and seek the good of the neighborhoods and the cities that we live in. Um, if you desire to follow Jesus, to live and love like Jesus here in Marin, or um, like Scott, who just led in, in worship, who lives in the South Bay, uh, who started his church there um, in the San Martin, Morgan Hill area. Um, if you're um, watching from Arizona, North Carolina, Oklahoma, some of the different places that, that uh, some of our Bay Mariners have scattered to. Um, I want you to know that if you find yourself in any of those places, you'll find yourself as the odd one out if you live and love like Jesus. Um, at times, you'll find that the world around you is against you. 
But God invites his church, comprised of followers like us, to be for the cities we live in. We are to become more and more like Christ for the good of the people around us. Now, I'd have to admit that this role of being for the city is a different approach than the typical church in America has taken. And we touched on this a little bit last week as well. Um, the church in America does not have the reputation of striving for the overall good of the communities and cities where they're planted. Church in America is often known more for the ways we are against the secular cultures where we live. And at other times, the church in America has tried to be relevant with the culture, but sadly in ways that benefit the good of the church more than the good of the community. We have invited people to our churches, but statistics are clearly showing that something that we, we try not to accept or that we were trying to overcome, and that is fewer and fewer people are willing or open to attend a church. The fastest growing religious demographic are the nuns, not N-U-N-S, <laughs> um, N-O-N-E-S. It's the people that check the box on a survey that say they have no religious affiliation. What is your religious affiliation? None. That is the fastest growing demographic. Now, I want to take uh, some time. I hope that wherever you are, uh, you, you got a good shot of uh, the screen on your computer. I want to illustrate a few things uh, today, and then we're going to we're going to look at a uh, just some really inspiring uh, verses of scripture that I think will help um, a lot of this come together. Um, I've got a little bit of tea here in this glass. Hope you can see that. I think I've got my camera positioned to where you can, and um, and so um, this this glass represents um, churches. Uh, churches in Marin, churches around the world, really, and and I could uh, I could have selected several different size glasses uh, to represent just how different uh, the, the churches can be. Um, you know, they can be different sizes and and uh, but uh, of churches, but churches different uh, because they have different programs that they offer, different musical worship styles different age demographics. Uh, but I'm, just, I'm using just this one glass because really, according to the Bible, God ordained only one church. Um, his big church, his big C church, his family. Um, I get to spend time with several pastors, men and women, who lead some of the great churches in Marin County. And each one I've met is a good, good person, a devoted follower of Jesus, genuinely caring for their flock and genuinely caring for the people around them here in Marin. And I love that we are one church in Marin. We might meet under different rooftops or on different Zoom logins, but we are one church. We differ in styles and on some viewpoints, but we have the main thing in common. We love Jesus and believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. 
So as, as great as many of the Marin churches are, um, and as many people, and that's what the T represents, as many people as attend church, um, we see that there's room to invite more people. And, um, and so that's a lot of, uh, you know, what, what we would do is we would invite people in Marin to come to church. And so with that, um, we have to acknowledge something. As great as many of the churches are, there are many people in Marin who will never ever attend church. It's just a fact. <laughs> they won't attend on a Sunday. Um, they won't attend something related to church during the week. Not ever. They just won't. And maybe they attended as a kid and they had a bad church experience and refused to ever go back. Um, that's maybe some of you. Um, you're on this call and it's you're kind of on the edge. Maybe this church thing isn't for you is what you're thinking because of some bad church experience. And I want to say that I'm so sorry that that has happened to you. It's happened to many of us, unfortunately. And if you were to walk away from that and say, I'm never going back, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I can't say that I blame you. So there's, there's going to be some people, yes, that we ask them and they will come to church, but there are some people around us that we work with, um, that we hang out with, that just, they're not coming to church. Maybe, maybe the reason is because church never crosses their mind. Uh, I know that there are a lot of people who their mindset is simply, um, they would say something like this. Uh, when I'm stressed, I go to my yoga class. If I'm having some really serious problems, well, I'd, I'd go see my therapist. Uh, when I'm feeling lonely, I meet up with coworkers for a drink or I swipe right on Tinder. In other words, I, I don't even think church crosses the minds of some people when they're stressed or when they're in trouble. Um, there's just kind of a, another reason people sometimes won't go to church is because there's just a growing distrust of institutions. And that's not just the church. There's a growing distrust of a lot of institutions, of government. They're just not viewed as trustworthy as they once were. And maybe somebody won't attend church on Sunday because they work weekends. I mean, there's, there's an endless number of reasons why someone might not be able to attend church or might choose not to. So this percentage, uh, this, this picture of T represents the very small percentage of Marin's overall population who would, we'll say, consider attending a church. But I don't have a picture or container big enough to represent all the people in our county who might never attend a church. Last week, I wrapped up my teaching with the call to be a faithful presence within a secular culture. It's what God instructed Israel to do when they were taken into that Babylonian captivity that Jeremiah was talking about. Um, and it was there in exile that they were a faithful presence seeking the good of the city around them. And the best way for us to see faithful presence lived out is by the example of Jesus. And so I want to I give us a biblical example, and then I want to revisit this tea church uh, glass analogy and, and see if we can apply it. 
Um, I want to describe just simply how Jesus was faithfully present to the culture he lived and worked in. The Bible tells us, and I believe that Jesus walked this earth in a very um, uh, secular culture, in a very anti-him culture, um, and yet he was faithfully present to the culture that he was raised in. Jesus was faithfully present to the culture that he lived in and that he worked in. And um, so let me talk about that. And then I'll kind of visualize how he was faithfully present using, uh, using T again for that. Um, faithful presence, let me kind of describe what that is and, and three main uh, components of it. Faithful presence pursues, identifies, and sacrificially loves for the good of others. Let me see, uh, I'm gonna put that in the, in the chat feature because um, I want you to keep that at the forefront of your thoughts there. Um, all right, faithful presence pursues, identifies, and sacrificially loves for the good of others. So Jesus himself, in his short time of walking on this earth as one of us, pursued, identified, and sacrificially loved for the benefit and the good of others around him. And get this, he doesn't pursue them, he, he didn't pursue them, and he doesn't pursue us and identify with us and love us in order to get something from us in return. It is a no strings attached. He does all this so we can experience what is truly good and beautiful and lasting and meaningful. So let me kind of break this down the pursues, identifies, and sacrificially loves for the good of others. First, he pursues us. I want you to know that God has always pursued you. Even when you, like me, um, become estranged from him by rebellion or just simply indifference, I want you to know that God still pursues you. In Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve rebelled, the first thing that God did was to pursue them, even after they had rebelled. And it says this in verses 8 and 9, Then the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God pursued them, not, not, to, <laughs> not to get them back, but to win them back. He lovingly pursued them. Um, it is God who initiates and who first chooses us. In John 15, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Let that sink in. Jesus pursues us. He chooses us. 1 John 4, 19, John writes, we love because he first loved us. He pursued us. He loved us before we even thought to love him. 
We just sang in that reckless song uh, video, uh, the uh, reckless song, uh, worship song. Jesus is pursuing us. Um, there's no wall he won't break down to, to come after us. There's no mountain that he's not willing to climb to come after us. And in it, there's even a, there's a line in there. It retells a parable where Jesus said he leaves the 99 to pursue and to rescue the one sheep that strayed. He's that serious about it. Again, he's not out to get you back. He's out to win you back. God pursues you. God pursues me. That's the first part of faithful presence that he offers us. He pursues us. The second thing, he identifies with us. Through Christ, God became like us. Through Christ, God stepped down from heaven to identify with us. Philippians 2 we read, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbly came down to identify with us. Now, I have often pictured in my mind um, that God the Father is in heaven wearing a t-shirt that says, I got this. So when I'm, when I'm stressed or I'm worried, uh, and I turn to God in prayer, I picture, literally, I picture God wearing a t-shirt that says, Gary, I got this. When I think of Jesus, I picture him wearing a t-shirt that says, I get it. As in, I get what you're going through. I can identify. Hebrews 4.15 says, for when we do not, uh, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus is our great high priest who is able to empathize with us. He was tempted just like we are. So for you, are you tempted? Are you struggling? Are you broken? Are you hurting? Jesus says, yeah, I get it. I identify with what you're going through. And his response is one of mercy. Hebrews 2.17 says, For this reason, Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is faithfully present by pursuing us, by identifying with us. And then this blows me away too. Third, he sacrificially loves us so that we can have a truly good life. The, the truly good life is marked by goodness, peace, beauty, joy. I go, could go on and on, but all of this is a grace gift that he offers to us. This was the original plan in the Garden of Eden. He created Adam and Eve to have a truly good life. And we see, as we read, like in Jeremiah 29, even in exile, even when we've rebelled, even when we are the away team, God has plans, as it says in verse 11 of Jeremiah 29, plans for good and not disaster to give us hope and a future. How gracious is that? The truly good life is fulfilled by life in Christ. 
at the beginning of John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 4, John wrote, In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The truly good life is found in him. John 10.10 says that, uh, Jesus says in this verse, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He is faithfully present to us so that we can experience goodness and life. In 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love, that he gave himself for our good. God modeled faithful presence through pursuit, identification, and offering life through sacrificial love. What God did, I read this, I'm going to put this quote, um, I read this in a book a couple of weeks ago. I just thought it was so powerful. Let me, uh, let me add this into the chat feature and I'll read it as I do. What God did, talking about being faithfully present for us and, and seeking our good, what God did was active, not passive, was wholehearted, not half-hearted. It was intentional and focused, not accidental or incidental. It was covenantal, not contractual. This is what he offers us. The purpose of all of this was to restore our relationship with him. And the purpose was not to get us to do something for him, but simply because he loves us and wants a close relationship with all his creation. And in that close relationship, we will find the truly good life. So what should be our response to this God who is faithfully present to us. How, how should we respond to Jesus being faithfully present? 1 John 4.11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That should be our response. We receive his love. We observe how he has loved us. We observe how he has been faithfully present to us. And then we offer that same faithful presence to others. We are to be fully present, faithfully present to others, just as he was to us, not to get something out of it for us, but simply because God loves the people around us. As beings created by God and out of his love, our highest aim is to be in his presence, enjoying him and worshiping him, and showing selfless love to the people he brings across our path. So by being fully present to God, we are in a position to be fully present in the world, in this culture. And we do that by pursuing, identifying, and laboring in love towards the fullness of others' lives. We seek the good of the city that we are exiled in. So here we go back, back to the picture of tea and the glass. So what does it look like for us as the church to live faithfully present within the secular culture 
where we live and where we work and where we play. How do we attract potential T people to fill our churches? Well, what if rather than trying to attract people to fill our churches, what if it was a little bit different? What if we came at this from a different angle? So let me kind of reposition a few things here. Um, we know people that um, are different aspects of our culture, different areas of society. And uh, this mug represents wherever people are um, in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, in those common places, things like that. And uh, those are the places and then we have, those are the people that are in those places are people that you know. Uh, these are not necessarily strangers. Maybe, maybe they start off that way. But these are, there are people in those places that you know. So rather than saying, how do we attract these potential T people to fill our churches? What if we saw ourselves like this? This water represents the people you know. The mug, like I said, is simply where those people live and work and play. And we are tea stringers filled with, with loose leaf tea, filled with this love that God has put in us, this recognition of the good life, of choosing to live faithfully present, this is what we're doing, choosing to live faithfully present within the culture around us. How about like Jesus, we as the church go to them. We pursue them, not so we can get something in return, but simply so they can know what the truly good life is. We have been filled by Jesus and his good life. And as we are faithfully present within our communities and cities, that good life seeps into other people for the benefit and the well-being of the people around us. We pursue them and identify with them and lovingly sacrifice for their good. And as we live faithfully present, we will see that God intends for us to maybe do a little less preaching and more steeping, faithfully present. And these people whom God loves, yet who may still be light years away from attending a church, these people who may never consider this, Again, these are people you already know and already love. This isn't like tacking else, tacking on one more thing that you have to do as a Christian. This is just continuing what you've been doing, but being faithfully present to God and to others as you do it. These people that you already know and already love, they're in your home, they're in your neighborhood, they're at the dog park, they're at the coffee shop, they're at the gym, 
Maybe they're standing on a street corner asking for money. Maybe they're lining up at a local food bank. Maybe they're on your Zoom calls for work. They're at your school. We go into these places, to those people, where we see injustice, we enter in and become faithfully present to the broken and hurting and mistreated. We pursue the broken people and places, and guess what? We identify with brokenness. We wear a t-shirt that says, I get it, I get it. In all things, we are working for the good of the community in which God has placed us. So I use this illustration of loose leaf tea in a strainer to help us kind of visualize this concept of faithful presence. And let me very quickly wrap up by giving you two practical examples of faithful presence. And one of these, at least one of these, you'll be able to do this week. So two practical examples of being faithfully present within the culture that surrounds you. Number one, listening listening as faithful presence. Invite people. As you engage with people, as you enter into culture, invite people to tell their story and then really listen to them as they share. And while listening, we're listening for the thing behind the thing. What's really going on in their heart, in their mind? What do they value? What disappointments have redirected their hopes or deflated their dreams? What do they really want? We don't just do that out in the secular culture. Guess what? We live faithfully present to each other too. We all need to be listened to in that way. No one walked this earth with more wisdom and insight than Jesus. No one walked this earth with more, more wisdom to share. And yet so many of his conversations with people began by posing a question and then listening, genuinely listening to what they had to say. And Jesus was also genuinely listening to what they didn't say. Now this type of listening takes practice. It's not gonna come naturally to most of us, but the more time we spend with our ears open and our mouths shut, the more time we spend steeping <laughs> instead of preaching, I believe the better we will become as being a faithful presence for the good of others. And that's also the first step towards identifying with them and then loving them towards the good life. What's our motive for being a good listener? Love. Love that person out of a selfless desire for him or her to experience the goodness of life that God has intended for them. So real simple um, example of faithful presence that every one of us can do is listening. The second one, um, I want to um, ask you this question. How many of you know what the word sobra mesa means? How many of you know what Sobra Mesa means? If you know, type it into the chat. Sobra Mesa. Yes, it's Spanish. I am not fluent in Spanish, but this is a beautiful thing. Tabletop. Yes, that's a, that's a big part of it. 
Anybody else want to chime in? I know some of you are like, I know, I just don't want to show off. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, a tabletop. That's not, it's a, uh, yes. Thank you. A conversation. See, it's a conversation that takes place around a table. It's time spent in conversation, um, digesting food while also savoring life with the people around the table. Sobra Mesa. It's our reminder that how we eat and who we share a meal with is more important than what we eat at times. So this is the second way that we can be faithfully present. I invite you to see your table as a place to gather with those who may never come here to church. Your table is a great place to invite neighbors and friends to tell their story. And it's a great place for you to be a great listener as they gather around your table. Now, as we prepare for communion, I want to say a couple of things. Christians won't change the world. Um, we put it in our mission vision statements. A lot of churches talk about we want to change the world. But um, the truth is, only God can do that. It's God that brings about change. Um, so on one hand, uh, we won't be able to change the world. But I want to say that I can name a few Christians who changed my world. These men and women may not have known that they were fulfilling each of those steps, but there are some amazing men and women who pursued me when I was lost, who identified with me when I was in some really broken places. And they sacrificially loved me for the sake of my good with no except no expectations or strings attached. They just loved me unconditionally. They pursued me, identified with me, and they just wanted me to experience true life. I don't know that Bay Marin can change the world, but I do know that you might be able to change somebody's world, just like some people have changed mine. And that's by being faithfully present. That's who he's created us to be. That's why we're here. We're not a church in Marin, we're a church for Marin, to be faithfully present. As we gather our communion elements, um, Jesus, as we've already talked about, sacrificially loved us in order to break down the barriers between us and the good and beautiful life found in him. And we've made choices that we thought would lead to a good life, but those choices left us far short. So before we share in communion together, I want you to use just the next few moments, very brief time here of silence to confess to any thoughts or actions that became a barrier between you and God. Is there something that has come up between you and God? 
And just in the quietness of this moment, could you just acknowledge that? And then, however you want to word this to God in prayer, invite him to forgive you. And thank him for demolishing that barrier by the life and atoning death of Jesus. Thank him for his faithful presence in your life. We read in the Gospels, and Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, Jesus... <laughs> when he was faithfully present with his disciples around a table, sober mesa, um, he took bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body offered for you in loving sacrifice. So as you take and eat this bread with me right now, will you remember Jesus and his love for you. And then Jesus took a cup of wine and explained that it represented his blood that would soon be poured out for them. They had no idea what was about to take place. And it also represents his blood poured out for us. Will you right now, as you drink from the cup, remember Jesus and his love poured out for you. Thank you for being with us, uh, being fully present today. Um, I know Zoom can be so hard to uh, push away some of the distractions, but I, I hope you were able to do that um, as God was faithfully, faithfully present to you. In just a moment, we're going to unmute the mics and we'll have an opportunity to be faithfully present to each other. Um, let me tell you a couple of things real quick. One, um, April 22nd, this week upcoming, is uh, um, Earth Day. And uh, I've invited Dave, who is our connect with the organization Plant With Purpose, to join us next Sunday. And he's going to share a little bit about our partnership with uh, through Plant With Purpose and the work that's been going on at the watershed that we are a part of in Mexico. And then I want us to consider from a biblical standpoint, what is the church's role in caring for the earth? What is the church's role in caring for the earth? So I hope you come back for that. And then there's just one more thing that I want to, um, I want to illustrate for you here. Um, you may or may not have been thinking to yourself, um, so if we are to be faithfully present in the world, Gary, are you saying that um, attending church is unnecessary? Is, are you saying that there's, there's really no need for us to gather with each other because it's all about just going out there and being there for the world? Um, Here's what I pray happens when you join us on Sundays in person or on Zoom. Here's what I pray happens when you meet up with your spiritual friend over coffee, when you partner with your faith community, when you participate in a growth group. This is what I pray happens to you. 
when you come to church. When you, as a follower of Christ, open yourself up and make yourself available to him. You take advantage of that opportunity. I don't know that I really need to explain this. But then we walk away in like this. And so let me kind of finish with this prayer. Lord, may our time together as the church be a time for refreshing and refilling so that when we go back out into the world, our faithful presence spreads more and more of you. Amen. Now go, be his faithful presence in the little worlds in which you live.